This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 7, Episode 5, perhaps the, the Clarence Weatherspoon episode of, of the, the podcast. You guys... You guys probably don't know who that is. Christian Okoye, Fran, we usually do famous number number 35s. I think Christian Okoye wore number 35. Anyway, um, Caden Steele, Javon Edmonds, Dante Colinelli with me today. Sam Cohn may or may not be able to hop on. Uh, we have a, a packed, packed episode for you guys today. Um, I'm John DiCarlo, and we're in a minute going to be introducing you or, or reintroducing you since he's been on the scoop before to Fran Duffy of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a production manager and on-air talent. He hosts, among other things, among a million things he does for the Eagles, he hosts two really terrific podcasts, uh, Eagle Eye in the Sky, and the one we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit more today, Journey to the Draft, because the NFL Draft is upon us. And Although Temple really doesn't have any draftable players coming out this year, we'll be asking Fran about two former Temple stars with the Eagles and Sean Bradley. And now, of course, the big free agent addition and Hassan Reddick. Now he'll impact the team this year. And we'll get into some NFL draft stuff. We'll let we'll let Dante and Fran geek out on some draft stuff here. Um, really excited for these, these two to talk. Um, you know, Arnold Ebichetti, who, of course, launched his career at Temple and then finished it out at Penn State. We talk about him and where he might get selected, along with maybe some of the top players we've had the chance to cover in the American. Uh, and we'll hear about Fran's Temple story because he, he got his start with the Temple football program as the was the video coordinator under Al Golden. Uh, later, we're going to be bringing on my friend Andrew Goldstein, who's been on this podcast before. He's been a writer, a producer. He's worked for MTV, VH1, Saturday Night Live, even the WWE. He's a Temple graduate and a huge Temple sports fan. We'll ask him about the new game show he's helped create for Complex called Top Gen. But he's really most excited to uh, talk about the NFL draft at this time of the year. We'll explain a little bit of that later. Uh, and just for good measure, we even have some basketball and football recruiting updates for you, too. So stick around for that. Ton of good stuff. But again, first, as I mentioned, we are joined here now by Fran Duffy. Fran, welcome to the show, buddy. We're, we're, we're thrilled to have you back with us. So this is, I guess, like... Christmas Eve for someone like you, right? Yeah, yeah it definitely is. A, it's a fun week for sure. And obviously it's a build up to Thursday night, but uh, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. I love Friday and Saturday more potentially mm -hmm. than, than Thursday, uh, just because of all the work that goes into it with all the prospects. But um, yeah, it's a really fun week and excited to get going. So Fran, but before we get into all the, the, the cool draft stuff, um, it's worth noting, we were talking about this last week, we recorded the podcast in person for the first time in a couple of years. I think you were the last person we recorded with in person. That was like yeah. right when the pandemic was started. I think you had, you had spoken as a guest at my um, advanced sports reporting class. And we went back to my office to record. I remember we were all like, we were like, okay, we got to use as much hand sanitizer as possible. And we were like, what, what's going on here? But it's awesome to, to be with you again. But as I said, a lot of the big foundation for you was, you know, it started at Temple. You're a Temple graduate. Um, you did a terrific job as Temple's video coordinator. Uh, you were there for five years. And at one point you were the youngest person in division one doing that job. Uh, you came in as a student assistant. Um, tell us about that story. What made you take that leap and apply and, and how far back 
with the game of football do you go? Because, you know, I've said this to you a million times before. You can describe the X's yeah. and O's of the game as well as anybody around and you do it at, at such a high level. But take us back to that time at Temple and, and how you got involved with the program and where things grew from there. Well, uh, to me, you know, I, I never played organized football. Uh, I played like in the street with my buddies and with family and stuff like that, but never actually played. I always loved it. And it really took off, um, you know, my love for the, for the Eagles and the draft, obviously like, you know, late 90s, the mid nineties was a rough time for, to be an Eagles fan. Uh, mm -hmm. And then when Andy Reid got to Philadelphia in 1999, obviously the things started to change and uh, the Donovan McNabb era got off to a start. And that's where uh, things really kind of uh, picked up for me from uh, following the game and following following the sport. But um, to me, you know, I got to Temple and by the time, you know, I got through high school, I knew I wanted to be working in uh, multimedia and journalism, broadcasting, like that aspect of things, especially in the sports realm. Uh, got to Temple, was doing some freelance writing, writing about the draft. Uh, the first draft I wrote about uh, professionally where I got paid to write an article uh, was the 2005 draft. And, you know, I know one of my first scouting reports I wrote for, it was for Yahoo at the time, was for uh, D'Amico Ryans, who went on to play for the Eagles uh, much later in his career, now the 49ers uh, defensive coordinator. Um, and late, so that was the 2005 draft. It was December 2005 when Al Golden got hired as the, the head coach. And shortly afterwards, uh, I saw one ad on campus for uh, a uh, student assistant job working with the video uh, department covering the football team. And I applied. I was like, this sounds really interesting. Uh, let me kind of look into this and uh, walked over to the building, uh, put in my application and got hired that day. Uh, and literally like that day, they put me in front of a laptop. Uh, and I remember watching uh, it was Denver Broncos. There's three games of the Denver Broncos offense on all 22. I had never seen coaching film before and thinking to myself like this is awesome. And this was uh, I want to say it was March of 2006. And, you know, at that point on, uh, I almost never left the building. I was a student assistant for all about uh, four months. The guy that hired me, who was the video coordinator for uh, about six months, he had gotten hired in January. He quit and put in his notice in June. They hired somebody else uh, the eve of training camp. So I was the full time guy as a student for a few weeks. Uh, they brought in my boss. Things didn't work out over the course of that season. It was a little bit of a struggle for him, but uh, I was able to impress the coaches during that time. I was a, a student that fought that first season. It was a, a rough year. We were one and 11 that year. Uh, John, I believe we lost. It was two games in a row, right? Where we lost 62 to nothing to, yeah. to Louisville, to Minnesota week two, week three. Yeah. Um, you know, we went out to, we played Clemson that year. We lost 63 to three, I believe was the final mm -hmm. score of that game. Uh, so it was a, it was a rough season. Um, but the uh, coach golden uh, came up to me. It was a random Wednesday night midway through uh, midway through that season and said, Hey, you know, the coaches have been really impressed with you. Uh, would you be interested in this job full time? I was 20 years old at the time. And I said, yeah, a thousand percent, absolutely in. Uh, and a few weeks later, uh, everything was done. And I was hired um, you know, and worked there for five years. Coach Golden was awesome. Uh, the coaching staff there was awesome. And I mean, I mean, you know, this, uh, John, I mean, that, that staff in 2006 and even getting into 2007, uh, 2008, the, the, the coaches on that staff were just uh, have gone on to huge things. Obviously, Matt Rule uh, was the defensive line coach. I, I did his he was the first uh, teach tape that I put together, uh, you know, in terms of like teaching the drills to, to players was Coach Rule's drill tape. He was the defensive line coach that first year. Um, but Ryan Day uh, now at Ohio State, he was the receivers coach. Uh, you go down the line and just a, a great group of coaches to be around and to learn from. Uh, I wish I soaked up even more than I did, but uh, definitely got my beak wet in terms of uh, loving the game even more than I thought I did coming in. 
Fran, you, you kind of talked a little bit about it there, but, you know, Al Golden just got the Notre Dame coordinator job, um, and we know that he did a lot of heavy lifting to try and turn this Temple program around. But what was it like working for him, you know, at the time? You know, you mentioned, you know, he came up to you and, and offered you that job even during a tough season. I mean, what was that dynamic like for you? I mean, he was he was awesome to work with. And obviously, look, it was a, a high stress environment because it wasn't going well the first couple of years. Right. And um, but what I learned was uh, how to work through adversity. Look, I was 20 years old. I was 21 years old and, and doing all of this for the first time. Uh, I can remember preparing meeting, you know, videos for meetings for the entire team and like uh, things not working. And it's like, oh, like, all right, well, I got to break the meeting because Frank couldn't get the video right. And just having to like work through that uh, really kind of uh, boosted my my mental toughness, I think. And uh, getting through that kind of adversity professionally, uh, as you guys, I'm sure can attest to is, you know, when you do something and it doesn't work at work, you're like, oh, like you're just disappointed. It's like, all right, how do I get better for the next time? And, and Coach Golden uh, was outstanding in that, um, you know, to me, like there was it was never like those guys took it easy on me. It was like in the moment, like it was heated. And then afterwards, like it was good. Honestly, like I was the same age as a lot of these players. Right. And so uh, there were times where you had to treat me like a coworker, but I always felt like they always uh, were coaching me up and kind of grooming me to get better and better and better as well. Um, and so my interactions with those guys were always great. I mean, I, I really, I spent, you know, that, that staff, uh, I couldn't say enough uh, about the way that they handled everything. Cause I, I was, I was far from perfect. I was far from good uh, for a lot of that time, but uh, it was so much fun because it wasn't just practice video. It wasn't just game video. I got to put together because I was big into, uh, you know, I was a broadcasting major. I was, it was BTMM at the time at Temple. Um, but I love putting together highlight videos and we would put together like motivational clips with movie, movie clips and TV show clips and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It was literally every day I was putting stuff together uh, for the team, for certain positions or certain players, for certain coaches. So it was never dull. Uh, I was trying to learn as much football as possible. We were just having a lot of fun. It was a, a small staff. Um, it was great. I, I look back, back on those times uh, so fondly uh, and all those guys uh, just wish them the best success. Friend, Al had to really hit on those early recruiting classes to really build a foundation. You know what he took over and it wasn't good. You know, you had yeah. – you know, interior linemen starting like 250, 260 pounds and guys like, like Adam, DeMichael and Von Charlton were like running for their lives. And it took a while to build it up. And, and there were times where, you know, Al used to tell me like, Hey, we're, we're just trying to out recruit, you know, Villanova and UMass and, and programs like that. Can you talk to us? You know, you, you saw these guys in the building and then you saw them on film, like about some of those foundational guys that went on to the NFL, whether it was like a high draft pick like Muhammad Wilkerson or a guy like Steve Maneri who, who broke in the hard way and those guys that really kind of set the foundation for you. I mean, to me, early on, especially like I, while I was trying to help out from like a, a football standpoint, to me, it was more getting an understanding of all of the other factors that lead to uh, players becoming great in terms of the way that they, their work habits off the field, the, the mental toughness they required. Uh, Coach Old, one of the big things that uh, Coach always leaned into is that toughness is a skill, and the mm -hmm. the the meaning behind that is that that can be developed. And that was a big thing that they tried to do uh, during the off season program, every winter, every spring, uh, spring practices, training camp. Like they always wanted to try and institute ways to uh, toughen up uh, a lot of these players because a lot of those guys were not, not developed. I mean, Andre Neblet was a four-year starter. Um, he was a high school fullback. 
and they turned him into a nose tackle uh, and became a, uh, it was an NFL nose tackle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, you know, uh, Terrence Knighton was a, a high school wide, an all state wide receiver uh, in the state of Connecticut. Now that was in the previous staff. He got to, to Temple. He had issues with his weight. He had to get, you know, he needed to become more disciplined. The Eagles turned him into a third round, or the uh, the 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 Owls turned him into a third round pick, right? With all the mm-hmm. development uh, that they put into him, and you got to give a lot of credit to those players as well. You mm-hmm. mentioned Steve Maneri; he was a lacrosse player in high school that was good. He was not going to play college football, and mm-hmm. the, you know the the coaching staff saw that in him that he had that potential. And so you can go down the list. Um, they had to kind of find those diamonds in the rough uh, to lean into that into that saying a little bit, yeah. but they had to lean into that. And they found a number of those guys. I mean, Bernard Pierce, uh, the only other team in on him was Buffalo. Uh, and he was right here in their own backyard. And they were able to cultivate him and put him into a position to succeed. And he had an outstanding career. Um, but just trying to find those guys, again, it, it really it wasn't necessarily always about the talent. It was about finding the, the guys that were the right fit for the culture that had the intangibles that were required uh, to reach their ceiling. Right. And that's what uh, I think gets lost so often when people talk about uh, this guy's got a high floor. This guy's got a high ceiling, whether you're talking about high school recruiting or about the NFL draft, is that it's not just about what the guy can do on the field. It's does the guy have the character and the the work ethic and all of the things that go into that away from the field to reach that ceiling? Because if he's not going to try, then what good's the ceiling? The ceiling doesn't mean anything if the guy's not going to put the work in to get there. That it doesn't mean anything. So um, to me, the, that that was one of my big things that I took away, especially from those first couple of years. Fran, uh, who were some of those guys, you know, in the program during your time there who maybe, you know, didn't make it to the NFL, but were guys you really saw develop over time that helped, you know, guys eventually get to a bowl game and really, you know, turn things around for the program? All right, so I'm going to do this off the top. I'm going to try and do this just looking at the roster from that, like my last full season there, um, to, because the, to me, like there are so many names that I could go off of. But, you know, to, to me, like Jaquan Jarrett uh, came in and started as a true freshman and obviously became a second round pick in, in 2011. Um, you know, and, and while it didn't work out for Jaquan in the NFL, uh, he was such he was like the embodiment uh, of what you're talking about. And he was one of those later class. He was like the 2007 class, I believe. Um, so he was the second class but I go back to like uh, like Dominique Harris, uh, the, what, what he was, you know, Damo was another, their safety starting opposite Jaquan. Uh, and Damo was just everything you wanted the, the leader to be on the back end of that defense. Uh, Alex Joseph, the, the way that he developed uh, over the course of his career, he was a high school safety, I believe, who came in, made the move to linebacker. He played special teams early on uh, and then became a three-year starter, a single digit guy. Um, by the time he got to his senior season, uh, you know, obviously the defensive lineman uh, that they were able to turn out consistently. Uh, you mentioned Muhammad Wilkerson already. I talked about Terrence Knight and I talked about Andre Neblett, uh, Eli Joseph uh, and, and Peanut Joseph, the, the two brothers from Connecticut. Uh, Eli was a defensive tackle, Peanut a linebacker. Uh, those guys came in and you saw the flashes early, but again, it was about uh, what those guys did in the offseason program and, and continuing to develop that way. There are there a lot of guys that came in and yeah, you saw some flashes, but they never quite like hit the ceiling. And to me, like some of the guys that I've mentioned, like because of the way they they handled their business away from the field, Amara Kamara, uh, another great example, they maximized every ounce of talent that they had. You got everything out of them um, because of the work ethic that they had and, and the work they put into everything they did. So, Fran, you know, you mentioned one of the things that maybe sometimes get lost in the and the story of Temple football's rebuild is how many coaches Al Golden had on his staff. Uh, you know, guys like Sean Desai, Matt Rule, Ryan Day, Mike Saravo, and, yep. and just countless other guys like that. But 
what are your memories of being around those guys and, and anyone else, you know, that falls into that category? You know, it's, it's funny because, um, when I first got there, it was obviously you have the coaching staff and, and those numbers were pretty rigid, you know, from what you look at now, right. The, the, the amount of coaches uh, didn't necessarily, hasn't necessarily changed too, too much from that st standpoint. It was more at like the, uh, the graduate assistant and the analysts and the externs like back then it was you had an offensive GA and a defensive GA and they were allowed to be on the field and they were allowed to be in the classroom with players and that's it you didn't have any other like positions like that and so for all of the work that had to get done you needed everybody else in that support staff like I mean Sean Desai who I mean he was the defensive coordinator of the Bears last year he was academics GA. I mean, he was in study hall with these guys, like getting these guys ready to pass classes and get ready for midterms and things like that. Not just in 2006, but like 2007, 2008. And he was essentially like helping out with special teams and doing a great job, like in terms of like, uh, you know, scouting opponents and things of that nature, especially from like 2007 on, he was such a big part of that coaching staff. Um, but everybody had to wear multiple hats, you know? So like our, uh, our directors of football operations at the time, you know, Tom Dean and Ryan McNamee, who's now uh, the DFO uh, out at UCLA. Uh, those guys, you had to, you had to help in any way imaginable. And so I tried to help as much as possible from like a recruiting standpoint, you're helping out with you know, official visits, you're helping out creating uh, the, the, the tapes that the coaches would watch. You get all of this game film um, from high schools and junior colleges from around the country. Uh, I'm trying to, you're trying to like ingest all that and say, okay, here are the, the five players you want to be able to watch. Here's 50 plays to, for this coach to be able to evaluate. All right, here's another, I'm going to watch an hour of this film and cut it down so uh, we can get it now. Like I wouldn't be doing that as a video coordinator if I was in college football. Now uh, somebody, you know, you'd have, you know, your, your third defensive analyst would be going through that film. Right. And so uh, to me, getting back to your question is that uh, we were such a tight knit group because everybody had to wear multiple hats and everybody kind of had a role, not just with what their title was, but also with all of the other things you were asked to do. And so, um, you know, just going back, I'm just like looking through some of these, the, the coaching rosters now, uh, some guys I wish I kept better touch with, but even like you, you run into somebody at the combine, you run into somebody at the senior bowl, you see, you see somebody at, uh, you know, a, a spring game, right. You see somebody and it's, it's almost like, Oh, you're like, yeah, I haven't talked to you in seven years, but we can like laugh and joke about things that happened in 2008. And it's like, they happened, you know, six months ago. Right. So, um, you know, it's just a, it was an awesome experience for sure. Fran, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about George DeLeon. You got to spend yeah. some time around him. And I don't want to say that he lost his battle to cancer because he fought it like hell and he yeah. was incredible. And I don't think anybody loses their battle to it. It's such a terrible disease, but he just passed away recently. Um, the time I got to spend around him was incredible. I learned so much from him. I, I, talked on a couple of podcasts about he was always eating and he was always in a good mood. Um, <laughs> what, what are your memories of, of just being around him? I mean, all the football that he coached before he got to Temple and what he meant to Al and just kind of getting things launched. What do you, what do you, what are your memories of, of George and being around him? So he, um, you know, uh, there are a bunch of memories and obviously, you know, when he passed a couple months ago, uh, just kind of rehashing that and texting with people and talking with people on the phone. I was out at the combine when I got the news and there, I mean, the, the amount of coaches that he has impacted, not just in college, but in the NFL is staggering, you know, and there, I know Bruce Feldman wrote a piece on it and, and there have been others that have talked about it. Obviously you, you guys have covered it a lot uh, on the podcast as well. Um, you know, it's it's crazy just the amount of people that, that point to George DeLeon as like a huge uh, part of their coaching career and their playing career and reflect back on that. Uh, for me, uh, a few things that kind of stand out. Um, 
you know, the, the one story, I, I think I told this one on Twitter in a, in a couple of tweets was that uh, it was my first year. It was before I'd gotten hired full time. I was still a student assistant. It was like a random like Tuesday, Wednesday night. It was like 1030, 11 o'clock at night. And a few of the coaches had already gone home. Things were starting to quiet down at the office. And coach walked past my room and he said, he, not, he poked his head in and he's like, Fran. I was like, yeah, coach. I thought he needed something. And he, he said, so I got a question for you. He said, are you a football guy? <laughs> and I looked at him. I was like, I'm 20 years old. I have no, I, I was, I had no idea what this was. The first time I'd ever heard this term before. I was like, uh, what do you mean? Coach? He was like, are you a football guy? And I was like, yeah, I, I think so. I think I'm a football guy. And he was like, all right, can, you know, come here. Are you, can, I, can I steal you? And I was like, yeah. So we go into his office literally for two and a half hours. It was till like one in the morning, two in the morning. And he just showed me all a bunch of the drills that they do every day and taught me the rules of zone blocking. And for me, like as someone who like thought he like knew about football and like wanted to learn about, like to me, like that was amazing and so illuminating to like, yeah, I, I don't know anything. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, being able to sit with him and then for like, he did, he did not need to do that. Mm -hmm. And literally like we finished up and he went into the closet, pulled out his air mattress was like, all right, like I'll see you in the morning. And and like went to sleep. And so like, uh, to me, like this was a guy that loved to coach, uh, he loved the game so much and loved the working with his players so much um, was a hard you know, in terms of like his coaching, like he was a hard coach on the field, um, but his players like almost to a man, like just love and adore uh, coach DeLeon. And, and again, like so many coaches so impacted uh, by his presence in their lives. Fran, I was, I was hoping you could tell us a story of how you landed your job with the Eagles and how your career has kind of grown from there. Yeah. So basically uh, when coach Golden left to go to the university of Miami, uh, I had the ability to go with him. Um, I hadn't gotten my degree yet uh, from temple. Uh, and that was important to me. I was very close uh, and I ended up getting it literally like coach Golden left December uh, of 2010. I got my degree in August of 2011. Um, but the bigger thing was just, I, you know, my father was sick at the time. I wanted to stay, you know, be home and, and stay here. So uh, I thought, all right, I'll kind of fight this through and, uh, you know, see what the next coaching staff brings. And uh, you know, it was a few, months later, I decided, you know, I, that other opportunities would be better for me. Uh, I ended up leaving, uh, I ended up putting in my notice. I want to say it was early July, late June uh, of 2011 and, um, picked up a position that was during the NFL lockout. So nothing was quite available to me at that point. Uh, but it was like a week later, I got a call that the lockout was ending. Uh, teams were going to start to hire, you know, media companies were starting to hire. And I took a seasonal job here with the Eagles. And they told me, I said, look, um, you know, this, this isn't guaranteed until, uh, you know, after the season ends, basically like the, the position's over. Um, but you know, this is what I had. This is the, the opportunity. This is my foot in the door. And I kind of bet on myself, uh, never left, uh, never had to leave. Um, you know, and so I was very, I, you know, like I said, bet on myself from that standpoint, uh, I would not recommend anyone else doing that, leaving a full-time job without having anything else lined up. Um, but, uh, basically, uh, took that gamble and it paid off. Like I said, just never left. Uh, when did you really start to feel comfortable talking about X's and O's like you do at a high level? I mean, you talk to guys like Greg Castle, uh, Ike Reese, you know, how did, when did you hit your groove as far as feeling comfortable to talk ball with those guys? Well, so when I first got to uh, the Eagles, I was mainly behind the scenes, you know, production. I was an associate producer at first and then uh, took over as producing our X's and O's show, Eagles Game Plan, in my second season in 2012. And so working with those guys on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, um, you know, those guys 
came to me and trusted my opinions on things. It was I, I would, cause I was watching all of the film uh, on the Eagles and on their opponents and sharing my thoughts on guys. I mean, these are guys that, uh, you know, played in the league for decades. Right. And it's like, man, like uh, they, they respect my opinion and they don't, you know, they don't know me from Adam, but for you know them to respect what I was saying and to, you know, take some of that uh, to the studio and put that into the show uh, was big for me in terms of confidence boost. And then also uh, just trusting myself and honestly the work as well, right? Like uh, coach golden, um, one of the big quotes, I, I actually, I, I refer to it all the time. I think about it all the time is when, when you're through learning, you're through. And so I was, I'm always being into, into like, I'm constantly watching the game, trying to learn the game, the new angles of it. And I, it's honestly, it's like I said earlier with co- the coach DeLeon story, like, you you spend time with a coach and yeah like i can have a conversation with a coach and feel pretty good about you know what i'm saying and feel, but then you like sit down and you talk with them even further and it's like as much as i think i know there is it's the tip of the iceberg there's so much that i will never ever comprehend uh or you know and it's it's not that it's um you know it's not that it's extra complicated i don't think it's complicated it's that it's so detailed they're the minutia into everything that goes into the game um and that's the the big thing is under trying to understand all of it is such a huge task and uh i've been lucky enough to do this for a decade plus and i still have so much more to learn but it's a, a big part of why i love the whole process uh fran before we get into hassan Redick, tell us you know what you've seen from sean bradley has he been about what you expected now with the eagles in his first two seasons after coming out of temple you know as a six-round pick yeah, I think the big thing, you know, Sean Bradley, one of the big themes from that Eagles draft in, in 2020 was that uh, they drafted a bunch of guys that were really impressive athletes, but also a bunch of guys, especially on day three that year, uh, that were captains in college and that were, you know, for, for Sean, he was a single digit tough guy. And I, I, was, I, I knew what that meant. I tried to illustrate that. Uh, to Eagles fans, you know, what kind of honor that was for Sean. Um, but to me that uh, the big thing, and it goes back to what I was talking about with those temple guys is that uh, yeah, like you have traits, like that's great. You know, he, he tested really, really well at the combine. Uh, but when you have that work ethic to be able to come in and uh, even if you don't hit your ceiling on offense or you don't hit your ceiling on defense, the, Hey, this guy's a really good athlete. And this guy is a, a tough, uh, high character kid you're going to get a good special teams player. And so far that's what Sean Bradley, he has been an outstanding special teams player. Uh, I think he could, could have very easily been in consideration for a pro bowl last year uh, with the way that he covered kicks uh, for that team. So I think when you look at him, uh, the arrow is pointing up and we'll see how, he, how everything shakes out in terms of the linebacker shuffle here this summer. But I think when you look at Bradley, that's really what he can hang his hat on right now is that he's got shown the ability to be a dynamite special teams player. Now, you know, with Hassan, you know, 2017, he was the first guy out of Temple to be taken in the first round uh, since Muhammad Wilkerson did it in 2011. Uh, he's been producing lately, hitting his stride. I mean, once Chandler Jones went out for the Cardinals that year, he really took over that role and took off. Then last season with, with Rule and the Panthers, he had 11 sacks. Now he's coming over to the Eagles. You know, what does he bring to them? And, you know, how has he grown as a player since he's first come into the league? I mean, speed, 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 more speed. That, that is absolutely what he brings off the edge uh, for this Eagles defensive front. And, um, you know, to me, when you look back on his usage and even just the, the narrative with Hassan when he was coming out of Temple, uh, you know, obviously you knew you were getting an athlete and you knew you were getting a very versatile player, a guy that uh, showed up on North Broad Street as a, a walk-on corner and had to make that transition to linebacker and then eventually to defensive end. He was very much off the radar going from a scouting standpoint coming into that final season and then 
he has an outstanding uh, final year uh, with the Owls. And that, that really kind of put him on the radar. He gets the senior bowl invite. He went down to the senior bowl and he played as like a Mike or Will linebacker because of his size. People didn't think, oh, he's going to be a full-time DN. So he played as a Mike or Will linebacker and he was solid. It, it wasn't like you could see that he was still kind of finding his way a little bit, but uh, you saw really good flashes, not just in practice, but in the game. Uh, so he gets drafted by the Arizona Cardinals and Arizona habitually, like on a yearly basis, they love taking those kind of multiple pieces of clay. You know, Steve Kime in his career, the general manager of Arizona, they have been perfectly fine taking guys that, you know, maybe they don't have that defined position in year one, but this guy's a great athlete and we're going to figure it out once he gets here. You go back to like uh, Dion Buchanan coming out of Washington State. He was that way. And they've done it time and time and time again. Isaiah Simmons uh, a couple of years ago, the, the kid they took out of Tulsa last year. Right. So uh, I think when you look at the way that they build their team, uh, that's the one of the models that you'll often see from them. And with Hassan, they were trying to move him around early on. They played him off the ball. He was a, a Mike or a Will early on in his career. And then eventually it was, oh, he's going to be the sandbacker. He's going to play in space a lot. Well, that year that you were referenced, you know, Chandler Jones gets hurt and now, hey, we're going to lean on him as a pass rusher more and just let him, we're just going to cut him loose and let him play off the edge and showcase that speed and use him on stunts and twists and try and get him home. And he was ridiculous. So he had that one game, I think it was against the Giants, right, where he had like four or five sacks uh, in that game. And that really kind of opened people's eyes. He goes to uh, free agency. And the, the market was a little bit shallow for him. It was, you know, it was like, all right, well, we still want to kind of see it in a prove-it situation. He goes to Carolina, reunites with with uh, with Coach Rule and with Coach Snow and the rest of that group and has another good year. And so that, that really kind of gave teams that faith that, hey, this guy's got that ability to win off the edge consistently. That's what he brings to this Eagles defense is that ability to line up as a strong side linebacker where, yeah, he can play in space. He can play off the ball a little bit. He can do a little bit of that stuff. But now – Let's get him going off the quarter, going to the quarterback off the edge, working against tight ends, working in wide alignments against tackles, uh, and let him bring that speed. And, and he definitely has that ability to win with that that athleticism off the corner. So, Fran, as we're recording this now, we're a little bit more than twenty four hours away from the first round of the draft. Let's feed the beast here, guys. Like like Javon and Dante are, are not Eagles fans. Caden uh, is. Uh, I grew up watching them, got to cover them for a little bit. Our buddy Andrew Goldstein is hanging out with us right now. We're going to bring him on the show in, in, a, in a few minutes. I know he's going to be he's going to be interested to hear this. We'll, we'll gun to your head. Let's 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 like I said, let's feed the beast here. What, what are the Eagles doing tomorrow night? Do they <laughs> they uh, and I'm sure I'm the first person to ask you this, right? Yeah, um, right. What what do they do in the first round? They stamp out with the two picks, and if so, who would they take? Or are they trading up or trading back? I know this will probably change 50 times, and we'll see a bunch of stories about what teams or what reporters think they're going to do. But gun to your head right now, what do you think they're doing? Well, yeah, I think the big thing is that, you know, when they made and this is the this is a big thing that they lean on consistently is flexibility. And with where they are in this draft, there's 15th and they, with the 15th pick and with the 18th pick is they've got that flexibility to a move up. B, move back, move down, let the board come to them. They don't have any positions where it's like, oh man, like if they don't take this guy in the first round, like they're in real trouble. Uh, they can line up and play with guys that they have on the roster right now. And so that allows them the flexibility. And that's kind of twofold, right? Because um, you, if you're, if you go in and you have those well-defined needs that every, all of the other 31 teams know, oh, this team needs position X, this team needs position Y. Well, now you've become predictable in terms of, oh, somebody can trade up ahead of you and take a player that you really want. But then also 
you now have that ability to, to kind of let the board come to you and you really kind of say, okay, well, hey, we, we didn't expect this guy to fall into the latter stages of the top 10 or to fall into the early teens. Let's make a little move up and see if we can do that. We, they have those assets. And that was the big thing with that trade with the Saints is that you get the first round pick next year, you get an extra second round pick uh, uh, in two years, right? And so now you just have, you're spreading those assets out. You've got that ability to move in. It's not necessarily, oh, just using those picks, but using them as, as bargaining chips uh, for trying to be able to make a move. And we know uh, that Howie Roseman during his history here in Philadelphia, that they love the ability to move up in a draft. They did it last year uh, when they traded back. They had that similar trade that, um, you know, that they made with the Miami Dolphins. They moved back to, I believe it was 13, right, or 12. And then they get that little move up on draft night to get Devontae Smith. They move up a couple picks with the trade with the Cowboys. So I think when you look at, uh, you know, the possibility of them moving on Thursday, it's definitely there but they don't need to force it. So I think that they're going to let them see how this top 10, how the top eight pans out. Uh, and that's what makes this one so fun is that last year, I think most people had an idea. All right, these are the first three picks. Uh, we have an idea of the players that are going to go like four through eight, but now let's see what happens. All oh, the draft like starts at nine and this one, like we're, we're 24 plus hours out and the first pick is still up for grab is still like mm-hmm. in question. And the, and the second pick it, it is such a house of cards this year. Uh, so that's, what's going to make Thursday so much fun uh, for me on the outside. Uh, friend, John alluded to this earlier, but I covered the NFL draft as well uh, for, for blue chip scouting. And I, I had the task of scouting the big 10 this summer. And one of the players that I got to watch a lot of uh, was someone who was at Temple, but now at Penn State and, and edge rusher Arnold Ebiketti. Uh, You know, we've seen him go as early as the first round in some mocks. And it seems like right now the consensus is more he'll be a guy picked on Friday. Um, I was curious if you could just give us a breakdown of his game and, and where you think he might end up. Yeah, I think when you look at, at Arnold Abicati, I mean, he's 6'2 in chains, so a little bit on the shorter side, but he's got really long arms. And, that, and that's a body type that uh, a lot of people really kind of uh, cling to is like, uh, this is a guy that can win the leverage battle. Uh, you're not worried about him kind of going into contact. And he also has that length to be able to, to kind of stave off blocks. And so uh, that's one of the more attractive things about him is that he's got a really impressive body type, but also a, a, an impressive athlete as well. I mean, he tested that way, but you watch him on film and this is a guy that's got that ability to win off the ball. Uh, he's not as explosive as Hassan, obviously, but I think when you look at his ability to win with his first step, it's definitely there. He could turn the corner. He can he can mix things up as a rusher. He won in a number of different ways. I think he still has some things to clean up from a rush standpoint, but again, this is still a relatively raw player. I mean, he's only got 18 starts in his career, only six starts before this season, right? So uh, he hasn't played a ton. He was a high school receiver and linebacker, so uh, still relatively new to the position. He's, uh, you know, has only been playing it for three, four years now. So I think when you look at Abikati, you think that, hey, his best football might be ahead of him. He's a great kid, as you guys know, having covered him and having been there on campus with him. Uh, he's a great kid. Um, and again, it goes back to what I was saying, right? It's like you have the athletic traits and a high character. Well, that's that's an easy guy to kind of gamble on, right? Because uh, you feel like he's got a better chance to be able to hit whatever his ceiling is. And so I would say that's probably the most intriguing thing about Abikati is that uh, his best football may still be ahead of him. And since Temple doesn't really have a lot of guys that we think are going to get drafted this year, probably none at all. Um, I want to ask you about some of the guys in the American. We've seen that conference kind of turn out some higher level players in recent years. Cincinnati getting as good as they have been has obviously been a huge boon to the conference. Um, you know, can, do you think it's safe to say that Sauce Gardner will be the first player from the American to come off the board, maybe in the top 10? 
Uh, yes, I would say so. I think when you look at, at Sauce Gardner, I would say the floor, it seems like right now, and again, this excludes anything cr- really crazy happening like in the in the, the first couple picks um, because if a couple things go like if – so like right now everyone thinks it's going to be the two defensive ends going at the top in some order between Aiden Hutchinson and, uh, and uh, Walker from Georgia. If those two guys go one-two – then I feel like, all right, then plug in Sauce Gardner uh, no later than like number seven to the New York Giants. Like that's that's the floor. If for some reason Jacksonville goes offensive tackle and then like Thibodeau goes number two to Oregon instead of Hutchinson and Walker, well, now everything is thrown into a mess. And so now the, now the corners get bumped a little bit and maybe uh, Gardner falls a little bit further. But I think you can probably lean into uh, Gardner going to essentially the New York Giants at seven. That seems to be the popular pick right now. Um, just a, a really accomplished player, obviously, three-year starter on the boundary for Cincinnati. He's got outstanding size. I've made the comparison in the past to uh, like a praying mantis out there on the edge in terms of the way that he's able to win at the line of scrimmage and just engulf receivers early uh you know teams deci- decidedly we're like or we are not going his direction um you know and just his ability to to play man to man and lock up uh, i think that there's going to be some question about his ability to always do that at a high high level in the nfl um but you know i've compared him in the past to like a xavier rhodes who has been a, he was a really good corner at his peak uh coming out of florida state with the minnesota vikings he's had some good years in indianapolis as well um but i think when you look at uh what gardner can be he can be that kind to player on the outside I wanted to follow up real quickly on uh on Desmond Ritter Cincinnati's quarterback he seems to be kind of a a controversial prospect uh I'm not a huge fan of him but there are people who think he could be the first quarterback off the board definitely a first rounder just curious you know what you see from him yeah, I think the big thing you look at with Desmond Ritter, and it's been a consistent theme with a lot of quarterbacks that have come in and found success, is that he's a, a good-sized kid, but he's got a lot of really impressive traits. I mean, he's a good, a, not a good athlete. He's a great athlete. The way he tested out in Indianapolis, he is a great athlete, that ability to win as a runner. Uh, and that's going to be important because uh, to, to play quarterback in today's game, you've got to have answers for when the defense wins on a snap and the defense is going to win, whether by play design, uh, your offensive line blows a protection, uh, the running back blows a protection. So whether you are winning with your mind or winning with your legs, you've got to have an answer and young quarterbacks, very often, you know, 99% of the time, they're not winning with their mind, which means you've got to get yourself out of trouble. And so I think when you look at Ritter, he's got that ability to do that. Uh, his arm talent is impressive as well. I would say one of the better arms in this class. And so when you look at it from a pure straight uh, trait standpoint, it's all there. Uh, the accuracy can be a little bit better at times, especially early in games. That was a consistent theme with him. Um, but at the end of the day, like you're talking about a guy who was 43 and four as a starter. He started 48 games in his career. Uh, again, I talk about the size and the traits, like it's easy to talk yourself into that right and say like yeah like all right like this is a, a safe gamble to be able to take he's got some things he's, he's got to clean up for sure you know and i think when you look at uh some of the decision making at times uh the mechanics especially in the lower body can improve uh you know he but he, he ran some pro style uh, concepts from a pass game standpoint i mentioned some of the inaccuracy um but i think when you look at the guy and the total body of work with the traits compared with that uh you feel good about especially in this group you feel good about his ability to come in and be one of the better quarterbacks in this class and you know does he end up going late round one? I think that's possible. I think you could see a team, um, you know, maybe like Atlanta, uh, Seattle, you know, one of those teams decide, oh, let's make a move up and see if we can get him at the end of round one. So, Fran, I want to introduce you to to uh, to my buddy Andrew Goldstein here, fellow Temple graduate. We're going to get into his new show and, and, and his career a little bit later on and, and talk to him a little bit more once you have to cut out of here. I know you got to get back uh, back home to Glenside and, and uh, take your son to soccer practice, right? 
That's right. So, but so Andrew's worked with like, you know, Nick Lachey, Nikki Glazer, uh, Jimmy Fallon. He's worked at SNL all over the place. And other than being around his wife and his kids, I don't think anything makes him happier than the NFL draft. And I wanted to have like between you and Dante and Andrew, I wanted you guys to, to talk here a little bit because Andrew, when we were, when we were just out of college, he goes up to SNL and he's in the page program uh, in New York. And he used to actually physically prepare draft packets for us. And we would go up to his place in New York and he would literally like hand us like these little folders. And I, I want you to take Andrew and all of us, like just into your process. Like we were talking about this earlier, like you have a wife and you have a kid, like how do you make, and it's not the only thing you do for the Eagles. Like, how do you have time for this? How do you have space for it in your head? I wanted, I wanted him to hear this and have you guys talk about this a little bit. I mean, it's absolutely a year round process and it's something like I'll start work on the 2023 group next, uh, like next week, honestly, like it'll, that'll, that'll start it, because, um, you know, and what I found over the years is that, uh, you know, when we draft a player in the fifth round, like, uh, if I had just like, kind of, you know, only did like, if I basically like half asked the work, like that shows up on camera, in my opinion, and if, even if like half our fans don't notice, like I will, I will be bothered to my core that even like 10% of them noticed. And so, um, to me, like I'm always putting in the work to, uh, to watch as many of these guys as possible. Every year I watch between like 300 and 350 guys, uh, where at least I've watched a handful of games and, uh, have done research on them. And, uh, you know, and even the guy, the, you know, probably another like 50 to 75 where maybe I haven't studied them myself, but I know the player, Hey, they, like he was at this all-star game. He tested well at his pro day, uh, three-year start. Like I, I know the biographical information. And can, and can talk about them uh, a little bit. So I think that to me, the, the big thing is that I know that you can't just cram uh, all these guys into, uh, you know, into the course of a one off season uh, to do it well, to the level that I want to be able to do it myself. Right. And so, um, you know, if I, that's, that's, what's important to me is like, all right, if I'm going to do the work, I'm going to do it right. And so it's like, even if it's just one guy a day uh, and when I get into the, into the football season, uh, obviously, you know, I'm watching a ton of NFL tape, which I think is an extremely important part of the process to me, it's really difficult to be able to consistently project guys from college to the NFL without having a full understanding of what's playing in the league right now. What, what does it mean to be a, a solid starter at corner? What does it mean to be a backup defensive end? What does it mean to be a star wide receiver? What do those guys look like? What are their skill sets? What are their strengths and weaknesses? What are the things that keep those guys from reaching that level? And so uh, having an understanding of what that means across all positions is super, super important. So no matter what I'm doing, I will always be watching a healthy dose of NFL tape because you need to be able to have that comparison. And so, uh, you know, once I get to the NFL season, I'm not watching a guy every day. I might be watching a couple guys a week, especially I get later into the week, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, certainly on Sunday before game day start, I'll, I'll watch a guy or two. Right. So uh, that's really what I get in is, you know, all right. Like I can get in early on a Sunday. I don't have to wake my, uh, my toddler up and uh, get them ready for daycare or, or anything like that. I can get in early, uh, watch a couple guys. And it's the same thing during the week. It's like, all right. I, I've got uh, an hour and a half before meetings start in the morning on a Thursday. Uh, let me, I'll, I'll let me turn on this, uh, this uh, pass rusher from Montana state and, and see if I can and get him in real quick. So now I've got a couple games before he gets invited to the senior bowl and I see him next month. Well, yeah, speaking of cramming, I've been, I've been cramming for the draft since the nineties. So uh, <laughs> I'm the complete opposite of a professional like you, Fran and, and Dante, you're, you're, you're also, uh, you know, just getting started, but I'm just honored to, if I get to ask you guys one or two questions, I'm just so excited to actually have uh, draft experts at my, uh, at my beck and call here for, for 20 minutes. 
Well, so so thank she, you for the opportunity. Well, go ahead. Yeah. What, do you, what do you what do you have, buddy? Well, just quick background. Yes, I made the draft packets. This was in the early nascent days of the internet. I was, sporting news was like my Bible, you know, to get the sporting news draft guide and, you know, using the Temple News offices to just print ungodly amounts of uh, <laughs> from, you know, Yahoo aggregator sites of, uh, you know, mock drafts and play, you know, team needs and stuff like that. And so, um, obviously we've come a long way and, and there's a million websites, there's a million draft experts and, um, you know, look, there's something to be said for really paying attention to the draft for over 20 years. So, you know, I am a fan. I, I, I don't put in the hours, uh, like, like you guys, I don't have the critical sort of eye and analysis and, and, uh, you know, eye for tape, but, you know, I think there is something to be said for like just profiles of guys that fit the, t- fit the 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 what you think the team needs and and uh that's sort of what i hang my hat on is just like this scene this player's profile seems like a play somebody that could help the eagles you know that's usually my focus and what i what i would you know look i get five minutes with you guys i've been pounding the table for 20 years for a high high a high round pick on a linebacker just like I grew up with Seth Joyner I remember watching him just save the Eagles behind like multiple games in the fourth quarter just making the big play and that's really influenced what I like to see and then you know like Fran said looking at the current league I mean Devin White how valuable was that dude in Tampa Bay's you know run to the Super Bowl and, and, you know, obviously we've won a Super Bowl and Dallas hasn't been in the playoffs for a long time, but I look at the way they draft and Sean Lee and Leighton Vanderash, and, you know, you look at Carolina's success 10 years ago with Luke Keekley, and it's just like, you know, you hear that narrative, linebackers aren't that important anymore. And I, I would love from your guys' perspective to break that down for a, for a, 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 a novice like me like what what does that mean is that just sort of a throwaway sort of narrative that people are throwing like what does it mean when they say linebacker is not that important anymore so the value of a, a Devin Lloyd or a, or a Nicobe Dean who just flew all over the place in the championship game to me that's like put that guy in the top 10 but you, you know what I'm saying there's that narrative that linebackers aren't that valuable anymore but I look at the league and I say I disagree with that. I think the big thing is it comes down to uh, number one, the understanding of like the value of certain positions and not only just like, Oh, is this guy important or not? Because you want good players everywhere, but it's, uh, an understanding of, okay, well, where can you find uh, said player, right? And how, how much is, would you rather have spent a high quality asset on a, a linebacker or at the risk of saying, Hey, I can get a, a good linebacker, but not a great linebacker. I can get a solid linebacker, but not a good linebacker at different parts of the draft while still having that ability to potentially get a great linebacker uh, in a little bit later. I think that's where, um, you know, teams kind of go back and forth on that. The Eagles certainly not the only ones uh, that kind of operate that way. And I think when you look at uh, the way that teams go about, you know, building up their rosters and building up their depth charts, there are a lot of teams right now where like they draft a linebacker high in the top 50 in the top 60 and that guy hit. It. And it was like, yeah, like that's great. But then you look, they're looking around and they're like, man, like 
I could really use a left tackle or man, I could really use a pass rusher or I could really use a corner or I really need a quarterback. And it's like, well, that's why you spend those high assets on those high value positions because it's harder to find those guys. Like the, the starting left tackles, they're not walk, they're not hitting the free agent market. Whereas you can go into free agency and you could find a linebacker to come in and start and play like meaningful football. And so um, that's why you'll see a lot of teams. And again, it's not just the Eagles, but a lot of teams will go in and say, we're going to spend those early picks uh, on the high leverage positions, the positions where, you know, those guys hit the free agent market and they're hitting, uh, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars that are really, really hard to find. That's really the big thing that consistently comes up is uh, the value from that standpoint and getting the bang for your buck early in the draft. Do, do you just to follow up with the guys who are projected in the first round, Nicobe Dean and De- you know, there's so, there's a lot of knocks on Devin Lloyd. If you read, you know, if you're reading and listening to, to sort of, you know, experts on podcasts, they're poking holes in guys like Devin Lloyd and, uh, you know, Nicobe Dean's size. And um, do you, what do you think of those two players? Are they worthy first round picks or the, you know, and then, you know, looking at second round picks, you know, Christian Harris, a four-year starter at Alabama, and then people are still knocking him. So it's like, you know, what's the, where, where do you see in terms of the talent this year, linebackers starting to come off the board. I think this is a really good group of linebackers this year. And I think when you look at, uh, you know, a bunch of the guys that you mentioned, you throw in Quay Walker from Georgia and yeah. Chad Muma yeah. from Wyoming, you know, you go down the list. And it's just, it's a really, really talented group uh, of linebackers overall. I think that you know, it's interesting with Devin Lloyd. My guess is that like his ceiling is probably like 13 to Houston. Um, that would be, I think, as, as early as he could go. Uh, I've seen plenty of uh, really good mock drafts, like from people I really respect that have him falling out of round one altogether and they're not being a linebacker going in the first round. Um, the other guy that I've seen kind of going early is Quay Walker. And again, I think with both guys, they bring the length that I think is so, so important in today's game. Devin Lloyd's got 33-inch arms. That's long, longer than some pass rushers. Quay Walker is just under that. He's 32 and 5'8". So I think when you look at uh, guys that have that length, with the athleticism to be able to play in space, they're not going to be a mismatch anywhere where, oh man, like we can't put this guy on a line on a, on a running back. We can't put this guy uh, on a tight end. He's going to get eaten up in coverage. Um, you know, and that's, I think one of the concerns that people have with N'Kobe Dean is that, you know, at his size, you might have to hide him a little bit and he's not going to be that kind of player from a coverage standpoint. Obviously he was dynamite for Georgia, uh, you know, in that, in that defense, but uh, you know, there's, and there, there is something to be said about from an intangible standpoint that he is like, he was, the leader of the best defense in college football and you know, one of the best defenses in college football history. Um, so from an intangible standpoint, there's everything there. You talk about Christian Harris and I, by the way, I totally agree with you that you can look at guys profiles and say like, yeah, this is an easy profile to bet on. Like, Christian Harris didn't play linebacker in high school. He was a high school safety. And because of injuries ahead of him on the depth chart, he had to play from day one in training camp uh, for Nick Saban. And he became a three-year starter. Like, yeah, like that's a guy that you like kind of bet on, right? And so uh, there are definitely those kinds of players where you're like, yeah, like I, I may have not watched one snap of film, but that feels right to me. A guy that's 21 years old and tested great and, you know, played that, that much football for Nick Saban. Like that's, that's a good profile. Um, you know, so I, I think ultimately you'll probably see those linebackers go off the board mid round one, but it's a matter of how many, and is it going to be Quay Walker? Is it going to be Devin Lloyd? Uh, and then is there going to be a second one that goes on Thursday night or the rest start to fall into Friday? That would be my guess is that we might see one and then the rest of them start to go off the board early Friday. Fran, I know, uh, I know you got to hit the road here in a, in a minute to go uh, 
uh, to go home and be with your family. This was this was a hell of a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. I know this is like a super, super busy week for you. So we appreciate you uh, taking us down a, a trip on memory lane with uh, your time with the Temple football program and uh, answering our draft questions and uh, have fun tonight. Godspeed to you in the, in the, in the coming days. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Andrew, we'll, we'll, you can stick around for a while, right? Yeah, awesome. I'm here. All right. Thanks, well, guys. Guys, it was good talking to you. I appreciate you, John, having me on. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, friend. See you guys. All right, so a, a huge, huge thank you to, to Fran Duffy for, for, for joining us. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm thrilled to have Andrew Goldstein with us. And uh, there's so much we could get into here. Andrew's a, a huge Temple sports fan and, um, you know, got his start really at the Temple News. So like a lot of you guys can relate, you know, we've got some, you know, in addition to the great work that, that Dante and Javon and Caden do uh, for us, for, for Kyle and I at Al Scoop, they're, they're, working at Temple Student Media Outlets at the Temple News at, at WHIP. And what what uh what advice do you have? You know, your 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 career has taken, like I said, there, there's so many big names you've you've worked with. What, what advice do you have for these guys in terms of working working in student media outlets and enjoying it? I mean, these guys have access to a lot more than we did. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably well, much better than I, we were. I would start by saying that John uh, buried the lead, a uh, former editor in chief. Yes. Of the Temple News. Yes. Shout out to me. Uh, no, um, but, but no, I would say, look, I, I was clearly fo- like, obviously I was a journalism major and I worked for the Temple News, um, but my focus was always on getting into the entertainment industry. Um, I had my eye on the NBC page program sort of, you know, since high school. So that was sort of, um, kind of written in the cards for me. I, I never sort of w- was in journalism classes being like, oh, I'm going to cover teams and, or, you know, be, be a working journalist, but I did it so I could write for four years. So m- the emphasis of my studies could be on writing. Um, and so, but in terms of advice, I just, um, you know, uh, use every resource I mean I look at what is available to you guys with the I wish I did radio like I just didn't it just it just didn't even occur to me um when I was at Temple like you know obviously with podcasts now and you know satellite radio and streaming and and all of that there's so many options that that are outside of just tv or just newspapers um, and magazine, you know, like there's so many options now where you guys could go and just like get all of that, get all of that experience, even if it's not professional experience, like jump on people's podcasts, host your own podcast, like, you know, um, go and you know, study radio, um, you know, if, if you have the opportunity, like get all of that experience. Cause once you come out and you're an intern somewhere, or you're, you're, you know, a lower level at a media company, like they're going to ask who knows how to, you know, who knows how to edit a podcast, who knows how to blank. And if you can raise your hand, you become indispensable. And then, you know, you're, you, you can sort of climb that ladder pretty easily. And Dante has to hop off in a second here. Any, any remaining draft questions you want to ask him any temple sports questions and I, I i want to say to our listeners too i appreciate this because i mean andrew and i have known each other for more than 20 years now but he he listens to the scoop and like he'll actually text me and be like oh i i i like 
I like Dante. I like Caden. And then like when Javon started doing the podcast, he's like, Javon's a great addition. And he like really listens and is locked in. He, yeah. I was like, Javon's got some uh, swagger to him. I like it. I like, yeah. um, well, I have a funny question that's draft related that I wanted uh, Dante around for. So I might move that up, but just really Dante, really quick question. And then we'll do the funny one. And then uh, you can be late to class. Uh, the whole Kenny Pickett small hands thing. Obviously, he was recruited to Temple. There was uh, it, it's before your time, I believe. Um, but just, did, I mean, I, I asked John this question, um, you know, personally over text. But like, did do you think his ceiling was top ten, top fifteen NFL draft pick? You know, do you think anybody saw that as his ceiling when? when he was being recruited to temple and, and um, is that sort of surprising to you because it did kind of come out of nowhere as you know, his, what is he's a fifth year senior, right. And his, his last year playing, he kind of blew it up. And then also just like the small hands thing, is that overblown in the scouting community or is that like a legitimate concern? Yeah. I don't think anyone probably saw this coming when he was a recruit. I mean, if he was going to be a top 10 um, you know, if everyone knew he was going to be a top 10 pick in a couple of years, probably would not have almost committed to temple. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. So, um, I, I think for, for Pickett, it's weird to me too, because as someone who's covered the draft for pretty much the entire time that Kenny Pickett's been in college, I've been familiar with him. And it, I mean, I would just argue he was just not good at Pittsburgh until this year. Like, I, I just did not think that he was an NFL prospect at all entering the year when I watched quarterbacks over the summer. I didn't even watch Kenny Pickett. He was on my watch list. I didn't get to him and I wasn't upset about it, but he had a really good year. And that's kind of a trend that we're seeing with quarterbacks. We saw with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Zach Wilson, you know, these guys are one year wonders. They come into the NFL. Maybe they do good. Maybe they don't, but we see it every year. And it seems like Pickett's going to be the guy this year. Um, as for the hand size question, I think it was getting overblown when it initially happened. Um, and now I think it's kind of like baseline been, you know, okay, he's probably still going to be a back end of the first round pick, maybe an early second round pick, which I think in this awful quarterback class makes a lot of sense. Um, the hand size thing is funny though. Uh, you know, um, a lot of people are comping him to Teddy Bridgewater because they both wear two, <laughs> two gloves. And I, and you kind of see that from a play style perspective too. Um, so I do think it's a little bit overblown. I, you know, you watch his film and, there are more problems with Kenny Pickett's film than I want to talk about before I get to hand size. Uh, and I think that that's where it becomes overblown. I think that he has issues that are more prohibitive than that. Um, you know, uh, for a while, Mel Kuyper had him as his number one quarterback prospect. Speaking of fabulous hair, Dante, fabulous hair. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> here's my, this is just a question. I was hoping Kyle would be on for this question too, but I want um, Dante, Javon, and Caden who have spent um, hours and hours with John to answer this question for me. Oh, using draft, this is um, using draft uh, scout lingo uh, jargon. Um, oh, I'm going to name four um, traits and you tell me which one best describes john DiCarlo. you guys ready uh, uh, ready number one soft hands <laughs> number two smooth hips number three bendy number four impressive length <laughs> oh man i am um, 
I'm going to go with smooth hips. Oh, I, I, I have seen really? John swivel around the office a couple of times. <laughs> I've seen him throw a football. He's got a nice little hip snap in that throw. John has so a good I'm gate. Go with that. I, can, I can attest to that. He has an impressive elite gate. <laughs> yeah. So I'll go with that one. Okay, Javon, soft hands, smooth hips, bendy, or impressive length? I, I, I might go with bendy. Uh <laughs> I watched John go through somewhat of a, a, a shooting workout at the Accord Center after senior day this year. Uh, good form to him. Looks like he could have played uh, some backup D2 point guard back in his day. A little flexible. Bendy. He's bendy off the edge. All right, Caden, you're up. Soft hands, smooth hips, bendy, <laughs> impressive length. I think I'll go for impressive length. You know, John is not exactly a small guy. He's got some height, some length to him. Definitely, you know, could go outside and play some cornerback. I think, you know, I, don't think, I think he's got the, you know, prototypical size. So I'll go for impressive length over anything. Right. <laughs> Thanks for playing America's favorite game. Uh, well, you guys uh, uh, humored me on that one. I just wanted to have some fun with uh, Johnny right there. But um, yes, uh, Dante, uh, please go to class. Don't be late, but uh, no, thank you. I mean, I could ask you a million draft questions. So I'm just, again, like super um, honored to, to have this opportunity and to be, to be on the scoop. Obviously I, we could turn this to basketball and I could, I could ask a million questions too, but uh, you know, I, I'm again, happy, 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 happy to contribute and be here. All right. Have fun guys. Don't have too Thanks, much fun. Thanks Dante. <laughs> Uh, and tell us about the tell us about the the new show again. Like and and again, your your career has taken so many twists and turns, and it's just it's been cool for us as as friends, like all the people that you've come across in, in your career. And now um, you guys just uh, you know you're a big part of uh, big part of this this new game show with Complex called Top Gen, and it's it's fun. I got to see one episode of it, but I was, you know, hoping you could talk to us a little bit about it. You know, but we can get into some temple sports too. You got, I know you're pretty versatile there, but tell us um, about the new show. Well, this is the name droppy portion of the podcast. Um, but no, I, uh, look, I made that show last year. Um, it was a, it was a idea that complex had basically the, you know, the idea is, um, uh, Gen Z millennials, Gen X and boomers, uh, battled out in a trivia competition to see wh who knows the most about the other people, you know, the other the pop culture from other generations. So it's kind, it's trying to crystallize that um, thing that happens on social media where, you know, boomers get mad at millennials for not knowing who Sinatra is and, and, and Gen Zers get mad at boomers for not knowing who, you know, uh, uh, Billie Eilish is. And they, you know, they constantly go back and forth and, and, you know, yell at each other and insult each other. And they're just embarrassed by the lack of knowledge from their younger counterparts or their older counterparts. And so we're just trying to crystallize that and, and sort of bring that forward through uh, fun, you know, fun trivia and um, uh, Q&A. And so that's the gist of the game show. And then the other twist is that our host is like the like most flagrant um, roasty comedian. Uh, his name is Akash Singh. He's hilarious. He hosts the Flagrant 2 podcast with Andrew Schultz, which has like a whole like Joe Rogan style army um, in terms of size, not not in terms, well, perhaps in terms of 
ideology, but <laughs> he is just, um, he is not your friendly neighborhood game show host. It, he will, he gets in on the, um, you know, if the millennial has an embarrassing, you know, hole in their knowledge in terms of not knowing who Elvis is, he's going to roast the, you know, he's going to roast the crap out of you. And he does. And so he's not the, he's not your friendly neighborhood game show host. And so he's funny. Um, the answers are embarrassingly funny. It's one of the, it's one of those um, shows that really makes the viewer scream at their computer or TV screen of like, how the F do you not know, you know, that um, Chris Rock was the voice of Lil Penny in mm -hmm. the, you know, in the, in the, in the commercials in the nineties. So it, it's, it's all that, it's that type of pop culture, um, just seeing who knows what. See, it's, it's really fun. It's top gen. It, you go to Complex's YouTube. We're up to episode three. We have six episodes coming out. Um, the numbers look good. And uh, you, John, I think you could tell the questions that I wrote just from listening. I had to, well, I have to get the, I think I saw episode two last night where it was, it was, uh, you know, the, like the older Italian guy who, who just didn't get yeah. anything. He looks like De Niro. Yeah. Javon knows where I'm going with this. I would highly suggest that you have Javon Edmonds on the show because Javon, how old are you, Javon? Are you 21 yet? Are you 20? I'll be 21 in October. All right. So Javon is, he's 20 going on 48. He's, say, <laughs> he's been accused. He's been the accused. The thing yeah. about podcasts are you listen to hosts um, and guests sometimes and you, you form this opinion of like who they are and, and you know, what their background is and like listening to Javon on those first few episodes, I was like, Oh, this dude's like, he graduated like eight years ago and <laughs> back for some reason. And he's, you know, cause like you dropped names of players that were like important when we were kids and you know, like you, you're just an old soul in terms of sports and sports knowledge and, and your, your take on things. And so I, obviously I gravitate towards that and I appreciate it, but, um, John, we have the, you know, we have, um, we have the, um, the, what we call the trip, the triple doubles, which are uh, questions that are um, triple the points and they're doubly difficult and they're like word problems. And so the one that I'm really proud of is um, it's multiply the number of, um, multiply the number of, uh, oh, multiply the number of times the word hey is used in Dwayne's in in Dwayne's greeting on what's happening by the number of uh, dams uh, on good times when uh, w when Esther Roll finds out oh my that God. finds what out is that, that I didn't get uh, what is what is the answer on that one I I, I didn't hear that question hey 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 from Dwayne on okay. what's happening and then she went damn damn <laughs> so that's three times three is nine okay. That's I'm I got the beat I got the um the Jay Z question when I was watching last night like the number of problems Jay Z has minus the number of members of um, BTS which I was impressed that you knew that BTS was what seven seven guys yes because I, I see every morning when I wake up and I scroll through Facebook the Graham Norton show is just 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 goes through my feed and he gets like you know everybody in the world. And he's John, had them on. And I just learned that recently that they have seven if you members. Take one thing from today's episode, it's that John is a huge BTS fan. 
I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but you know, I mean, if you want to spread that rumor around, but my put Javon on the show, he could be a Gen X. He could be a boomer. You're the, you're the least Gen Z Gen Z that I know Javon fair or unfair in that assessment. And are you wearing Air Monarchs right now? Um, Number one, fair. Number two, I take it as a compliment. Number three, no air, no air monarchs in my possession. Well, you're welcomed on the show. Hopefully, fingers crossed, there, there's a second season, and I would uh, absolutely uh, reach out um, if if we get to make more episodes because you'd be perfect. You're you're exactly what what we're looking for in terms of uh, contestants. So that that would be great. So Sounds I- like a deal to me. I, I want you to stick around for the last portion of just where we talk some uh, some basketball recruiting updates here because they did get a commitment. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what just some of the highlights of your career along the way. Like I said, I mean, you've done so much cool yeah. stuff and it's been fun for us as friends to be like, oh, my God. Like, I remember you texting me and saying, like, yeah, just from your days at SNL, Bono just walked by me. And like, you know, just to get the guests that you guys had on the Sorry I've Been So Busy podcast with Gold, which were great. You've worked with all these people. What what stands out to you from from those well, years? What are some of the cool things you've been able to do? Obviously, I've 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 um, yes, this is the name dropping portion of the podcast, but I'm, I'm for it. Like I said, I was in and I was a page at NBC a long time ago. And and through that, you know, you got to work on Conan and at the time, Rosie O'Donnell and 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 for me specifically, I worked as the page on SNL. So that just sort of like, that was like being the batting boy, bat boy on your favorite baseball team. I was just like in the dugout on SNL basically, which was amazing. It was like Will Ferrell was a young cast member and Molly Shannon and, um, you know, Jimmy Fallon was just starting out and all that stuff. So that was really cool. And then, you know, was a PA, a production assistant everywhere, got into the MTV system, wrote, my first writing job was on a show called Boiling Points, which was like a, a prank show that, you know, we tried to piss people off and the people that stayed patient won money. Um, and I wrote on award shows and um, big sort of live events like New Year's Eve. I did like five New Year's in a row for MTV. I wrote on, like I said, award shows and, um, then in 2006, and I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that this since then is, you know, went to work for WWE, wrote for SmackDown and Raw, and flew on Vince McMahon's private jet to like, you know, different arenas every week and, you know, got to work with my heroes because I'm a big, big, dumb wrestling nerd. Um, you know, got to work with, Dust, you know, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes and get to work with Ric Flair and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, worked on the original TRL, worked on the reboot of TRL, uh, worked on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Um, and then, you know, the last five years, I've been sort of running my own shows. And so as, as what's called a showrunner, executive producer kind of thing. And so um, made a late night style show for Complex with Peter Rosenberg from Hot 97 and, and ESPN called Open Late. And now I'm, I, well, I was back at Complex this year doing top gen I, I made a show for vice jumping off of the dark side of the ring series which is like a wrestling documentary series on vice that's called dark side of the ring confidential which was sort of an expansion series on on those those cool documentaries and so i like yeah like john said i've been all over the place try to follow my interests into you know like i've done tv but with wrestling and with sports and with comedy and so like that's another piece of advice is just like 
you know, if you have outside interests, try to wrap those into your professional life because it just makes, I mean, I can't tell you how much fun it was making Dark Side of the Ring Confidential and having my like my work hours being, at, you know, like spent asking corporate TV lawyers like, hey, can you get me the steel cage footage? You know, can you get me the scaffold footage of the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express from 1986 where Jim Cornette falls 40 feet? from the scaffold and breaks both his legs. Like that was a work question that I had to put in a work email, um, uh -huh. which just like blew my, like, can you get me the Abdul the butcher footage where he drives the fork into, you know, the original Sheik's head, like just asking, you know, like that's in a work email. So like, trying to, and you guys all do it because you guys all love sports and you're working in sports. And so um, that that's certainly a, a, something I've learned is, is to try to find, you take your expertise and, and try to find, wrap your your personal interests into that. And it just makes for like a, a really, really fun combination. But yes, worked with celebrities, worked in TV. I can break some news here that uh, starting in May, I'm sort of taking a, a more steady staff job at, at Amazon Wondery, and I will be um, producing podcasts. Nice. Congratulations, um, buddy. It's awesome. Thank you. Before we before we get into to the the Temple Hoops re recruiting news here, I want but one last thing from from your career and, and lie to me if you have to a two part question. This is a podcast talking about a podcast. Will you and the brilliant Matt Goldich be bringing back the Sorry I've Been So Busy podcast? And if not, or is it because you guys are just simply too busy to to bring it back? Because it was it was tremendous stuff. Um. Yes. We stopped doing it because we both got really busy. We have four kids between the two of us now. Um, in fact, the Goliches are coming over to, uh, Saturday to my house, which is pretty fun. But yes, had a podcast, did over 100 episodes. You can go in the archives. A lot, lot of amazing comedians and producers and creators um, came through there. People who are blowing up right now, like Michelle Buteau is just like killing it on Netflix. She, she mm -hmm. was on the show and um neil brennan who's like touring the country was on my was on our show um who who's like an uh no we never had nikki glazer but i worked with her i know i know you're right. a fan um mm. just if you go in the archives it's just like a who's who of of some really really oh uh, like um uh what's his name the dude the I can never remember things on the spot, but just a lot of really fun comedians. And, and so the podcast was really fun, but like I said, uh, really fun career. I don't know that we'll, I, we talk about doing like a special episode one off here or there. So um, perhaps I'll bring it up again. Cause I'm going to watch the draft with him tomorrow night and then I'll see him again this weekend. So perhaps we'll, we'll reboot that. Uh, and I always wanted to have you on John, obviously. We, yeah, we always people, talked about coming to Philly and, and recording like, you know, bulk five episodes. Or yeah, and people will be like, who the hell is John DiCarlo? But, you know, Goldich and I, we could just like just talk about Yacht Rock lyrics and, and references and stuff like that. The yeah. fact that he got that winding your way down Baker Street on, on Seth Myers was, was, was incredible. Um, so you're you'll 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 enjoy this. You're, you're a big Temple basketball fan. So just as we were as we're recording right now, we were expecting this Temple got. Uh, commitment from Kerr, uh, from Kor Jankuch. So he's a big man from Northern Colorado, uh, a big there. Uh, we have our story up on the site already from Sam Cohn, who's been working with us, of course, at Al Scoop and also covering Temple for the Philadelphia Inquirer. So, uh, uh, it, you know, literally and, you know, uh, and uh, 
a, a big pickup for for Temple because they they need they we know that they need front court help. Um, so I kind of thought this might happen this week. Um, so uh, Cord Jonkic is is a, a forward from Northern Colorado, uh, averaged eight point eight points a game. Uh, in 37 games last year, 27 minutes per game, pulled down uh, 326 total rebounds. So that was second best in the Big Sky Conference, uh, blocked 26 shots. Um, Javon, I'll, I'll toss this over to you first. Again, we, we know how much this team needs front court help. You know, Nick Jordan, Nick, Nick, Nick Jordan, excuse me, not, you know, he, they want him to be versatile. He can step out. He, he has proven the ability to post up, but uh, we know that Emmanuel Ocpomo is a work in progress. He got healthy a little bit later on in the season. They're, they're hoping, of course, that he can progress. But Aaron talks all the time about wanting to play inside out, and they just haven't had that player. Um, you know, we don't want to mistake this pickup for them. You know, you know, he's not Anthony Davis, but he's but he's a, a pretty good basketball player. Just on the most simple level, what is what does this mean for them in terms of getting a guy like this and their first transfer portal pickup? On we know that they need a front court help. Um, um, somewhat undersized center, uh, but he's efficient. However, it is in the big sky conference. So take with that what you may, but, uh, I mean, the thing is you're not going to get him to stretch out defenses at all. You can tell by his free throw shooting numbers, a career mm-hmm. shooter of 47 and a half percent, just about mm-hmm. from the charity stripe. So, mm-hmm. uh, jump shot just isn't his thing. That also tells me, Hook shot most likely isn't his thing either. Really a dump-off player uh, mm. that can hustle on the boards. So he'll be gritty. He'll provide some tough personality to the team. But basketball-wise, um, still not close to what the roster needs. Um, I, a backup for Opomo next year, I'll, I'll give him that. Uh, maybe the starter. Uh, I'd guess the backup, though, for Opomo. So it covers one thing, gives them some, some more defense, uh, in the second unit, but like I texted in the group chat, they still need a backup power forward for Nick Jordan. They still need another point guard behind High Seer Miller. Um, you figure out what you're doing at, at that small forward spot, either start Zach Hicks or Jalil White. If you're going to start Jalil, uh, then Zach Hicks kind of covers that scoring off the bench, but you'd still want another guy. Um, so yeah, they, they still need another score, another power forward, but you know, still early, what, seven visits in the next 11 days or, yeah. or is it the other way around? No. Yeah. What we're being told is that they're, they're going to have more visitors coming in as many as seven in the next 11 days based on a couple of people we've talked to. Now that could be some transfer portal guys. It could be some, some 20, you know, 23 guys that what we also know, and we, we talked about this last week on last week's episode, they're bringing in Colby Rogers, Sienna's leading scorer, a guard who's visiting next weekend. Now with him, he's going to have to sit out a year because this will be his second transfer. He played at Cal Poly. Uh, he's from Georgia originally and then played at Roselle Catholic up in North Jersey where Nate Pierre Lee played. And uh, they have Max Edwards, a Kansas state transfer from, from New York played AAU ball at the long Island lightning uh, with, uh, with, um, with Dana Dingle, Dan Dingle's older brother. And you remember him from his UMass days. Um, Max Edwards was was injured and redshirted. Kind of has like a, and I'll throw another one at, at, at Andrew here, like a Mark Karcher body type, like 6'5", 220. I'm in. Yes. Um, but with, with John Coach, I mean, like it's it's interesting because everybody, like so many of these guys hit the portal and 
you'll hear like they picked up interest from this, you know, this program, that person again, Sam, you know, talked to him this week and he had programs like Syracuse and Boston college and San Diego state and Washington state reaching out. Um, I think because in part of his athleticism, his defense is rebounding it to, you know, all those programs have different needs, but it's, uh, it's, Shows you how crazy the portal has been because people, coaches are sitting and waiting saying, oh, this guy hit the portal. This is what we need. Or can we get something better? Can we get something better? And um, obviously, I think Temple sees him as like a bouncy kind of springy kind of option, a guy that can be a bit of a rim protector. And even if he's not, you know, a guy who's averaging a double-double, you know, you obviously hope that Emmanuel Okpomo continues to develop because, they again, they need – you know, again, I'm not, if you can get a guy who constantly draws double teams and he either scores out of it, goes to the foul line or passes out of it, that's great. But um, still looks like a pretty, you know, a pretty good addition for them. Again, we'll keep an eye on what's ahead with the portal. Again, to just to reiterate, Coley Rogers will be coming in next week on an official visit, a really good short, a really good shooter. And Max Edwards, a guy who's, who's really hasn't put anything on tape yet in terms of, um, you know, what he can do at the college level was good enough to, to get to the big 12 and, and Kansas state. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on things there. And what do you make of this? You're, you're huge, you're a huge temple basketball fan. Uh, I think we can say that, you know, obviously the, the goal this year in year four with Aaron has to be getting to the NCAA tournament. They've, they've, everybody in America has coached and played through a pandemic. There were tangible signs of progress and, um, the transfer portal losses that they had with Jake Forrest or Ty Strickland, uh, Arashma Parks. Um, now, the, who's that? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. William. Obviously, Jeremiah Williams was 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 the 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 surprise, the the player that they they didn't want to lose. Well, how do you? I'll ask you this, just a general question. How do you feel about the future of the program moving forward? As someone who still you know keeps up with it and watches it. Um, I was pretty encouraged by this season. They had some really impressive wins, obviously, despite uh, lots of injuries. Um, I'm a little um, hesitant with the losses. Uh, it's a little hard to overcome. You know, Jeremiah Williams was such a grounding presence to that team in terms of like, obviously he was injured a lot and, and stuff, but when he played, he, he kind of, you know, kept those guys in check and, and was sort of their steadying force. So that that's a tough, that was a tough one. I thought when they had the Pierre Louis brothers, I thought that was going to be the sort of like, you know, match stick that sort of like reignited the program. Obviously that didn't work out. So I think the transfer transfer portal has um, really thrown a wrench into, it's almost like season to season now. Like you can't really depend on what happened last season and growth of players. Cause you, it just seems like they're losing, you know, they're losing as many guys as they're gaining. And so um, it's a little hard as a fan because I want to, you know, the fun part about college is you get these players hopefully at a school like temple for three, four years. And now we're not even getting that, you know, like I was excited about Ty Strickland and he he's, you know, he's, you know, he showed flashes of really, you know, sort of like coming out as a player and now all of a sudden he's gone. So it, it's, it's kind of hard as a fan, to be honest, as just like a pure fan. I have no um, attached, I have no professional attachments to the team, just like purely as a fan. It's, it's really hard. It's really hard to like know what I'm getting into each season in terms of the team. One, one final question for you to, to close this out. And again, thanks for being with us today. This has been wonderful. Um, what's your favorite, your favorite memory of being a, a 
Temple fam, football. I'm probably guess it's probably going to go basketball for you. But whether you got to be there in person, whether you got to cover it during your time at the Temple News, or even just watching on TV, what was what stands out to you? What are some of your favorite Temple sports I, memories? I always get the details wrong, but it was still in the McGonagall year, so it was freshman or sophomore year, and it was a half court. What seemed, I think it was a, a buzzer beater game winner by Pepe. Mm-hmm. He hit a buzzer beater. We all rushed the court and I hugged this cheerleader and <laughs> kind of had like the Chris Farley, Tommy boy moment coming out of it. It was like, this is awkward. Wish I would have gotten to know you better. <laughs> um, um, but um, I just always, the, the two I remember is the Pepe Sanchez half court in McGonagall rushing the court. And then the heartbreak of the Lamar Odom uh, shot to beat them um in the a10 tournament at the spectrum yeah yeah see what seeing that live that sticks out and then obviously the tie shine game uh i believe i watched that with you at our at our mutual friend dan shasson's apartment yes. and, uh he famously took a you know took a very long walk by himself uh <laughs> sort of uh nurse's wounds after that so that that's sort of become legendary in our friend group but um Two of those are are sort of negative memories, but the, mm. the Pepe, obviously, you know, look, I my freshman year was an awesome year. It was Mark Jackson and Pepe Sanchez, and you know, later I I got to see, you know, we had um, we had uh, Lynn Greer and the Quincy Wadley years. Like it was a really great time to be a student and a fan of Temple, and and you know, you guys talk about it on the podcast all the times, like trying to get people back to the games. Mm. That was the thing to do when you were a Temple student because there wasn't much else to do. So the the sort of eight months of basketball season or whatever it is, like those games on campus, that was the sort of social event of the week. Um, I really, you know, that that to, that's the, probably the overall memory is just like the the ritual of going to those games, like looking forward to it all day in class. Cause like, you're going to get to, you know, you're going to go and then seeing those dudes like on campus, like Quincy Wadley in the dining hall and just being like, man, that, that those dudes have life by the, uh, you know, by the groin. <laughs> those dudes, I mean, what a, to, and then to see like Mark Jackson be who he is now and like be yeah. like a, a staple of Philadelphia sports and be part of the Sixers run. Um, you know, Which is probably coming to a close pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, I know, sad. But anyway, I just I'm a super nostalgic person, and so like I get really excited to see Mark Jackson still doing his thing, and you know, obviously Jalen Brunson breaks my heart. Every now he's going to sign a fifty-five million dollar extension. Yep. Should have been should have been a Temple Al. So um, I'm just rambling here, just stream of consciousness, Temple memories, but. Yeah, the Pepe Sanchez buzzer beater in McGonagall Hall, storming the court, hugging the cheerleader, embarrassing myself, all of those things. I'll leave it at that. I love it. A uh, huge, huge thank you to, to Andrew Goldstein for joining us. A big, big thank you as well uh, to Fran Duffy from the Philadelphia Eagles. Javon, great stuff. As always, we will be with you guys next week with more Hopefully some, so, you know, more football uh, recruiting coverage, some basketball recruiting coverage as things continue to evolve in the transfer portal and the class of uh, the 2023 class and beyond. So thanks for sticking with us through another episode and we will talk to you guys soon. Bye.